This podcast features discussions about finance and money, which are general in nature. This means that it has been prepared without taking into account your specific objectives and financial needs. We suggest that before acting on this information, you seek out professional advice. Hey folks, welcome along to another episode of the Money Mechanics podcast where we are unpacking the money stuff. I'm Scott Malcolm and today I'm joined by Angela Ashton from Evergreen Consultants and we're going to do a bit of a dive into the ESG or sustainable investment space. Angela, welcome along. Great to have you here. Thank you so much, Scott, for inviting me. It is, uh, it's going to be fun. I loved our conversation when we first met. And so I'm really excited for listeners to get some insight. I guess when it comes to ESG or sustainable investing, there seems to be a lot of noise out there. So it's going to be great to get your insights and background. We've been asking all our guests before we start to share a happy, early, joyous or happy money memory. So have you got something you're happy to share? Yep, 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 I I do. So, yeah, when I was very young, which was a very long time ago now, I think I must have been in about grade three. So I was probably about eight. I grew up in Brisbane and um, we had the ECA every year in in August. And one year I remember saving up all my my cash, all my cents and dollars to buy show bags. And I saved up $4.37 and I counted it every day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> every day in the lead up to the ECA. And I knew, you know, I got the Sunday paper and got out what bags there were and, you know, spent the money about 100 times before um, I actually got there, which was fantastic. And, you know, like when you look at money research now and, you know, why money makes you happy and all that sort of stuff, I was doing all the stuff that that you, you should do, you know, like I was really planning and, you know, sort of it's a big goal and, you know, I was planning how to spend it and how to enjoy it and I probably enjoyed the, you know, the Sunday paper bit more than the bags themselves. Which show bag did you end up going for? You know, I can't remember. I can't remember any of the show bags, but I can remember four dollars thirty-seven. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm having a reminisce about uh, the, the shows I've been to over the years as well, and uh, yeah, the the Sunny Boy and the other show bags uh, that used to be full with every, every, all those treats anyway. But uh, won't yeah. go down that rabbit hole today. Yeah. Now, Angela, you've had a, a bit of a interesting career, and you, you've done some amazing stuff in in the investment uh, and, and corporate wealth space over the years. For those those people listening, like ESG, the environmental, social, and and governance, uh, but but also sustainability, I guess from investment pieces can mean a, a range or a raft of different things. Do you want to give us a bit of background about it or how you came into it? Yeah, so look, I started Evergreen Consultants about eight years ago, and it wasn't based on ESG. Evergreen was just a serendipitous name. So we do investment consulting broadly, but about. I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe a little bit longer now, it started to become obvious that this was more than just a trend. We all know about, you know, the issues around climate change and so on. And so, you know, it, it seemed to me that it was the, the trend in, in financial planning was, was really starting to take hold. In my career, I've probably seen the trend start two or three times and it's always died. But this time it, it looked to me like it really had the legs of being something much more, you know, like it, it was actually going to take hold. And, you know, clearly we wanted to 
be part of that, partly because of climate change and so on, but also because we could see that it was a trend that was really going to need some support in financial planning. So about five years ago or so, we started looking at how we might be able to add ESG generally, because all of the ESG ratings methodologies that we saw around managed funds and you know look we're managed funds experts really they weren't sort of set for managed funds there was nothing that was managed fund specific so we started looking at various different ways probably about then it's been a bit of a journey but yeah that's how we started I remember when I first started in this industry, uh, I don't know if I should name name uh, certain fund managers, but I remember a, a rather large fund manager had a um, sustainability fund or a uh, ESG fund and you looked at the detailed investments underlying it and it had all your big miners, your BHPs, your Rios in the mix, but it was basically on, on the governance principles and it said, well, no, they've got great governance principles in in play. Do you want to unpack, I guess, the the E, the S and the G a little bit further for people? If, if yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Well, look, when I started, Scott, I do, I'll do. i move back to that. Um, there was a fund called the YWCA Fund, like fund manager name, YWCA Fund. Um, that's how, like, and that was sort of good principles as well. But that was a long time ago. The ES and the G, environmental, social governance, as, as you've explained, the environmental, I think, is sort of pretty um, self-explanatory. It really is around things, not just climate change, but obviously environmental degradation and so on. Anything that sort of fits into that environmental box Clearly, that's probably the most important, you know, pressing issue that we have globally. But obviously, there's more that that's considered in this ES, ESG bucket. It, S is social and really describes things like, say, gender equality, you know, racial equality, and so on. Anything that sort of fits into that social box. Um, and governance is sort of the things that you've discussed, Scott. You know, that sort of idea that boards are, are managing business as well, that they're meeting accounting standards that they're doing the right thing generally in a governance sense. So there's all of those sorts of issues that can be considered in ESG. But, you know, when we look at managers, they sort of look at all three potentially of fund managers. But, you know, a lot of the ESG scoring mechanisms look at each of them in different ways and with different weightings. So it's a bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah. And and so I guess for, for people who are wanting to align and, and again as a financial advisor I see so much demand sort of from the ground up so to speak around more clients just asking the question these days around hey we are mindful of this stuff we, we we're getting a, an electric vehicle or we're we're mindful of, of environmental impacts or actually the social things we want to make sure we're not involved in companies that are human trafficking and and all those sort of things but for people who are getting started out what what are some of your tips I guess to help them unpack maybe some of their own values when it comes to this stuff yeah, no, I think, Scott, you're right. The first thing that people have to think about is what their values are and what's really important to them in investing. So, you know, and that can be difficult. We've, we've built a questionnaire, but it, look, you know, you don't need to potentially use that questionnaire. You can think about just what things are important to you. The next issue is the the alignment of, of what is important to you and what's actually available in funds management land. It can be one thing to, to want, say, a portfolio that really impacts on on climate or any other specific part of ESG that you want to consider. But there may not be the investment options available for you to, to say fill a whole portfolio. So there, there has like it's definitely important to understand what your values are, but then to also think about, you know, I guess the issues that say a financial planner might bring to you regarding, you know, those values and what they might mean for your portfolio. So there's also, I think, you know, clients have to think about the idea of how much are they willing to have returns impacted 
or potentially miss out on a diversified portfolio. So, you know, ESG probably doesn't affect returns in the long run, but it can definitely affect the pattern of returns and it can affect your ability to access a lot of different types of assets that will help, say, with risk or diversification broadly. So um, you have to, I guess, you know, have in your in your mind your own values and really understand what it is you want to want to get from a portfolio that's aligned with your beliefs. But also, in some respects, that you need to be a little bit cognizant that you may have to sort of think about other issues and you know allow a financial planner to discuss with you what your values mean for your portfolio and what your financial objectives might be as well and how that might all meld in together. So it's a little bit trickier than just sort of. Saying, these are my values here's my portfolio it's a simple a to b there's definitely more steps involved and i think you touched on the return elements and also that that diversification piece and so uh, i often say to people that your values alignment is going to be really hard if if you've got a, a very clear sort of social driven value set and you're trying to build a portfolio around that but but again you don't have sort of large buckets of money to invest initially if you're going into the the retail funds management space it does make it a little bit harder to get that that values alignment i like what you said about long-term returns not necessarily being impacted and i guess i have seen a few clients recently who have got an esg overlay in their portfolio but because again we're seeing different themes come back online uh, we'd say some of the mining companies and, and otherwise they're not getting that that same return and so is there things uh in that return risk space, I guess, that you'd unpack further or are there sort of any myths uh, that we need to debunk in that space for people looking at ESG investment? Yeah. So, look, ESG investment is still, when you think about the whole range of ESG, it's still comparatively new. So, you know, look, when you when you think about, if I'll call it ESG light funds and ESG light managers, you can get some level of, you know, say, filtering, light sort of management of green issues and still have, you know, a fund and an equity portfolio that's broadly going to be in line with index. You can definitely do that, but I'll call that ESG light. And there's nothing wrong with ESG light. It will take out the worst of the, you know, offenders in each of those categories, for example, and make sure that the portfolio might, say, be aligned to 1.5 degrees or, or, or whatever. And you won't give up much in terms of what you might compared to a normal portfolio to achieve that in terms of what the return sequences look like. Now, again, I don't think that ESG means less return, but it does change the pattern of returns. So an ESG-like portfolio is probably going to be fairly similar. The greener or the the more ESG filtration and, and considerations you get in a portfolio, what tends to happen, particularly around the shares and the equities part of the portfolio, is you tend to get into smaller companies because a lot of the the smaller like the new technologies and so on really do reside in smaller companies both here in Australia and globally so you're starting to skew to smaller companies and you're also starting to skew to companies that are growing really fast and those sorts of companies did very well in low interest rate environments and environments where interest rates are falling but you know we've had a couple of years now of interest rates rising and those sorts of companies do tend to get hit and that's what we've seen over the past 18 months or so, is that those sorts of companies didn't perform as well, say, as, you know, broader markets. 
Having said that, they had a number of great years prior. So ESG as, as a whole was performing really well and now it's lagging a bit. Having said that, I think the last quarter actually was okay. So it's not, it definitely had a real hit through 2022, but in, during the sort of the very recent past, it was pretty much um, in line with, with broader markets. So not, not too much of a performance give up in the very short term. I think what we'll see in the medium term is as a lot of these technologies and approaches and the companies that address these issues mature, we'll see that change. So they won't be smaller companies. They won't be growing as fast. They'll be more mature. They'll be profitable. They'll be stronger, bigger companies. So we'll actually see, I think, over over time, the, the characteristics of the portfolio change as these companies change. Mm. And and it's probably that I guess our our human behaviour and our experience will change as well. I guess even with AI, I think AI and and probably technology companies do often tick the box to fall fall into that ESG exposure. But again, I think there's lots of questions now around AI and uh, where does that fit in our our broader spectrum of life. And then there's probably other ethical dilemmas and challenges that that come up on on that regard as as the technology evolves. So yeah, I like what you said there about sort of that that evolution over time with other myths anything else that uh, that comes up when it comes to ESG I guess you, you have said before you you manage mainstream money as well as sort of ESG money so anything else that, that comes up in that space for people cost is one thing that is often mentioned and at the moment a lot of funds that offer ESG overlays or integration do tend to be a little bit more expensive and a lot of that is to do with the fact that it just needs a lot more research so there's a lot more people on the ground there's a lot more work being done in order to ensure that the ESG tenants with respect to their investment are actually being met so um, they're definitely you know ESG teams being formed now and a lot of big fund managers and there's a cost associated with that so it does tend to be a little bit more expensive but I, I, my, my guess would be that in the fullness of time, it's just going to be part of the landscape and either the managers will soak up that cost or, you know, everything will adjust so that it doesn't actually look more expensive. The cost is not, it's it's not awful. It's not significantly more expensive. It's a little more expensive. But, you know, it, it's about that alignment of values, as you say. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I think, again, it's just unpacking that and and again you said earlier that you've got a, a questionnaire that you uh have got for people so i'll i'll get a link for that that uh, hopefully i'll share in the the show notes for people as well just to help people unpack that a little bit further and again i guess there's, there's a un sustainable development goals and a, a lot of people talk to those often in regards to that that esg focus and, and model at evergreen what what's your sort of methodology or what do you look to uh, in the way that you approach it the sdgs are hard to measure sdgs is really you know like when you think about that it's really a bottom-up you know like looking at companies and what they do so it's it's you know it, it's a bit harder to measure the way the way that we think about rating funds and looking at funds with respect to esg is what we call a top-down approach so a lot of the methodologies out there that people will see are what we call bottom up. So they look, say, at a portfolio of companies and they rate each company based on a, you know, some sort of questionnaire or, or whatever and come up with a score for the portfolio based on the companies that are in there. And that's definitely the standard way that a lot of people do it. There's a few issues with that. And the way so what we tried to do was we think about 
what the manager does. So we, we've taken it from the other way. As investment consultants, we spend our days looking at managers and what they do and how they look at companies and how they build portfolios and all that sort of stuff. So we thought that we should look at ESG in the same way. So we look at the way the manager does it and, and then we build a score based on what they do and how they manage it. So what we've done is we've taken work from the UNPRI the UN Principles of Responsible Investment, which is a global group that fund managers can sign up to, and work from RIA, the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia. So we looked at work from both of those groups and we've aligned the questionnaires that we've built with what they think uh, fund managers should do and we rate it based on the way that RIA looks at, at investments. So our stuff is aligned with, with them. We've taken a lot of care to make sure there's no evergreen values in there because it's not about us. It's about, you know, the ESG. So we think we've done that and we've tried very hard to, to you know, keep our values out. So it's a, it's a differentiated approach. It's it's specifically for managed funds. Yeah. No, no, I, I like that. And I think some of those, uh, again, resources with the yeah, Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, they've got some great uh, resources for people to, to have a look at. Go, going through that ESG journey, again, any insights? I've got a lot of clients that will go for a, a, a balanced approach in that they might say, hey, we'll, we'll keep some mainstream investment uh, in the mix still as well, but we want to start to introduce some ESG uh, principles over time. Anything that you've seen in relation to how ESG is, is used in the system at the moment or ways that people can start to implement some of these themes into their investment portfolios yeah look i think people need to be aware that some stuff that's marked sustainable is probably not as sustainable as i think now asics obviously been going through a lot of fund managers recently with respect to greenwashing and has definitely you know been looking very carefully at some of the, the groups out there but it's still really important that if people want an ESG or a green or, or or whatever investment that they need to understand what the fund manager is doing. They need to read the PDS and make sure that whatever it is that the fund manager is, you know, what the what the label on the tin it actually aligns to what people want because people have different, you know, views of what different words mean for sure. I think it's also important to look deeper at at the stocks. And, and the actual portfolios as well. Because as you said before, Scott, what happens a lot is um, people skew to large tech because they are low carbon. Um, and, and large tech obviously is a bet in itself. And so if, if you want to have an ESG fund, you, you may or may not want to have a large tech fund. So you need to sort of be aware of what, you know, what the team means in terms of the portfolio and how that, that plays out. The other thing to really be, be wary of is if you want impact investing, i.e. that very, very pointy end, I'll call it, of ESG, that are looking to change outcomes rather than just be better than the norm. There isn't actually much about. It will be expensive and you can't build a portfolio out of it. It's just not sufficiently diversified at this stage for people to, to actually be able to build a good portfolio out of it. So you might use it for a small part of your portfolio, 
but it's not it's not sufficiently available for people to build a real portfolio out of. And that's interesting. And I think when you, when you talk impact investing, I guess that is really where people say, "Hey, we want to we want to know that our money's going somewhere where it's it's affecting change and it's it's moving yes. upstream to to do something in that regard." Is yes. is the US market? I don't I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but it just popped into my head, so I'm going to throw it at you, Angela. Um, yeah. But is the US market different? Like, because I know again, the the US is is a larger economy, and and again, I speak to a couple of planners over there, but how's their investment or funds funds management space are they evolving further down the that impact investment path or or is it similar to ours at the moment where it's still fairly developing so to speak the european market is the one that's way ahead so they're the ones that are really taking this to much greater levels and are really doing a lot more work with respect to this the us is probably a bit behind and the US is interesting with respect to when you think about the institutional investors. So some of the state pension funds and stuff like that have actually been precluded uh, by government in investing in an ESG fashion. So they're not to consider climate issues in their investment process at all. You know, in some ways, it's actually going backwards. Yeah, well, and and so what are they doing? Like, what again? Now I'm going to go down that rabbit hole. But are there are there trends we're seeing in the UK and Europe that that are actually interesting or that may evolve here in Australia as well? They have what's called Article Seven Eight Nine. Um, so they've got specific standards that a fund can use to measure, you know, their ESG standing, and they can call themselves Article Seven Eight or Nine. So Article Eight is sort of considered light green, and Article Nine is considered green. So Article Nine is sort of the benchmark if you want to be considered an ESG fund, like a real ESG fund. You aim for Article Nine. But what we've seen very recently is a lot of funds that call themselves Article Nine have actually shifted back to Article Eight because this greenwashing issue has really, you know, come to the fore for regulators everywhere. The other thing that we've seen is this another great term called green hushing. And that's where because of, you know, say ASIC here in Australia or the regulators in the in Europe cracking down on what people are saying about their ESG credentials, people are winding back what they're calling themselves, but they're still doing the work. So it's called green hushing because they're doing the green work, but they're not telling people about it so that they can't be yeah, pinged wow. by the regulators. So that's yeah. we're in this really strange, pivotal time where people are working out what we call different things and, and how it all gets standardised. So I think we're watching that play out now. In regards to that, as a consumer, what, what can you do to sort of see through any of that greenwashing? Like how, how do you avoid falling into that, that greenwash trap? I think it's as simple as, you know, reading the PDS. Don't just take the label as being the right thing. And not to say that people are even greenwashing. It's just that your interpretation of what ESG is can be different to what the fund managers is can be different to what standard categorizations might be. So you need to make sure that if you have an idea, if you have a value, um, if you want specific things, say, not in the portfolio, you, you need to either go to an advisor who can tell you or you, you need to check it out yourself and, and make sure that you're aligned to what the, the fund manager is saying. Because, again, look, ESG can be you know, uh, large US tech, that that can be right. They are, you know, they are comparatively low carbon. It, it's just about ensuring that what you want is actually what the fund manager is delivering. And it doesn't mean that the fund manager is greenwashing if they're not delivering that. It's just a different, different objectives. 
Yeah, and that, that values alignment, uh, as I often say to clients, it's it, you're never going to get 100% values alignment when it comes to investment space unless you are managing your, your own portfolio. But even then, you, you are very limited, I guess, in being able to then pick stock and, and select individual companies at the end of the day. Yeah, especially um, in small markets like, say, Australia. Like globally, it might it, well, it's actually still hard globally because you'll have to do a lot of work to find them. But in Australia, you're limited. Yeah, and it's, again, how far upstream you then go. Again, I speak to clients and they say, oh, we don't like tobacco or we don't want them. Like, oh, well, you're happy to invest in Woolworths or Coles who who might sell or supply cigarettes. Are you are you comfortable with with the big banks uh, who, again, might have financing into into some different areas? So I guess it is that bow and, and depending on how uh, deep you want to go with regards to your value set and, and what you're trying to screen against. Angela, loving the chat, and sorry, I've probably gone down a different, totally different rabbit hole with some of those questions today, but I guess just to summarise some of your top three tips or practices that people can implement, what, what would you say those top three things would be? Um, I start to understand your own values, what it is you really want out of the portfolio, and really define them sort of fairly clearly. Read beyond the fine print um, when it comes to, to the funds themselves. And I think, you know, as much as possible, ensure you still have a diversified portfolio that's going to get you to your financial goals as well. Love it. Love it. And again, product disclosure statement, again, any regulated investment in Australia does have a, a PDS. So understand that. Have a, have a look into that. Angela, we do keep these episodes short and sweet. I guess my, my last few questions for you are probably more more personal around your own experiences. But what, what would be one of your best lessons that you've learned in life around money? Maybe not just around money, but it, it's around it's around work and career and everything else. It is risk and return are related, but taking on risk doesn't mean you get return. So there's lots of times in my work in my career where I've gone for the riskier job, for example, and it, it may or may not have paid off. Often, sometimes the easiest decision in terms of say career progression can be the best so yeah risk and return aren't related but you have to take risk to get return yeah i love that that is a really really good insight and my last one for you is in in probably the last five years are there any habits behaviors uh that have most impacted or improved your your life i think this one comes from building a business and i'm, I'm not there yet i'm not sure if i'm halfway there yet but i'm learning and that's patience you know i've just always been that person that jumps in and does and that's probably also linked to the risk return thing and really sort of learning that that sometimes you just need to be quiet and let people talk and let them fill the space and get whatever it is off their chest so that you can move ahead it is something that I'm really learning. And sometimes just being quiet actually allows you so many more choices and allows you to really think about the way you want to shape a situation and get to where the company needs to get to where you need to get to whatever it is so you know not pushing but just tapping on the edge of a situation it actually can be really good i love that the power of the pause we we often talk about that in the uh, in this podcast so uh, I, I love uh, i love that um, and again, business, I think it's it's such a roller coaster, regardless of in size or scale or what you're doing, it's always that that good old roller coaster. And I think that probably entrepreneurial energy, you need to have the gusto to get it going. But uh, yeah, it is is nice to reflect on that sometimes. Well, you have it too, Scott. Yep. Every day is a roller coaster. You have no idea how the day's gonna end when you start it. So, so true. Um, <laughs> look, Angela, it, it's been great to connect. And again, hopefully people have got some insight to, to some of the 
ideas and, and values uh, that they need to start thinking about when it comes to ESG investing. I will put some of the links to your resources on the show notes as well so people can look at that. And as we said before, there's some great resource with the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia as well. So I'll add those in the show notes. But look, thanks so much, Angela. Really appreciated your time. Any, any parting words today? ESG is definitely a trend in, in financial planning that we're seeing growing more and more. E- even with, you know, ASIC's greenwashing stuff, we, it, in five years' time, I don't think there'll be a fund that doesn't integrate some sort of ESG measure in what they do. On that note, thanks for listening, folks. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. And as always, if you have, please share it and uh, like us or give us a rating where you're listening. And we'll uh, see you next time. Thank you.